Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 40, recorded Tuesday, June 13th, 2006. This is the podcast giving the voice of the traveler. It's more about the journey than the destination. Today's podcast is a first anniversary edition, the best of the first year of Travel Commons. Coming to you today from the Courtyard Copley Place in Boston, Massachusetts. Actually, the first Travel Commons podcast was posted on May 14th, 2005. So if I was a strict constructionist, the previous episode, Travel Commons number 39 from May 18th, would have been the one-year anniversary show. But there's something about a round number, 40 instead of, say, 39. And the fact that I didn't have time to go in May to go spelunking through all the episodes and pick out the good bits. And I'll tell you, it took a good bit of spelunking. 39 episodes at 20 minutes apiece adds up to 13 hours of travel commons. You know, I got tired of listening to my own voice about halfway through. Two things jumped out at me, though, while I listened to those 13 hours. The sound quality got a lot better after I bought a real microphone. Uh, Actually, it's not that much of a real microphone. It is a uh, Radio Shack condenser microphone. Um, And I uh, stopped recording in shower stalls. And the reason for doing this podcast that I stammered out 13 months ago in the bathroom of the Wardman Park Marriott, well, it still holds true today. Why should you listen? Why should you even think about subscribing to this podcast? Well, if you're interested in travel, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, really sort of the ground-level experiences of a, uh, of a traveler. Someone, someone who's uh, in airplanes and hotels and rental cars every week. That's me. And uh, hopefully, hoping to uh, generate some discussion. Uh, folks, uh, folks like yourself want your thoughts, your stories too. And uh, that's the whole idea of a commons, uh, to share some things. And then in Travel Commons number 33... Where to begin? Well, I guess turning open the virtual mailbag is always a good place to start since, as I've mentioned before, you know, I came up with the Travel Commons name because I wanted this. First, it was a website, but pretty quickly morphed into this podcast. I wanted it to be more of a conversation than a monologue. And to that end, you know, let me thank everyone who sent along their thoughts and stories. And also just to remind everyone else that the email address is comments, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at travelcommons.com. Or remember, you can always post any uh, thoughts on the uh, Travel Commons website. So, you know, let me start off with uh, a note I received from Sky Ho, who I think is from Southern California. Uh, Sky says, I recently became a road warrior, so I enjoy listening to your podcast. Going through the other podcasts, it appears that many of the travel podcasts are about different locations, especially international locations. I have no interest in hearing about locations, especially international ones. My business travel doesn't allow me much time for personal time, so my travel doesn't allow me to enjoy the beach in L.A. or the fish market in Boston. I want to hear about the aspects of travel that affect me. I like hearing about the fun and dreary process of travel itself. You know, I'll tell you, that is probably the best description of the Travel Commons podcast. All about the yin and yang of travel, the fun and the dreary bits. 
Well, how about that for a great marketing campaign? Join us for the fun and dreary bits. But you have, and more surprisingly to me, you've hung around. And, and even though my content is mostly North American-based, I've received comments from around the world. And I'll tell you, reading the emails and the website comments is the most enjoyable part of doing this podcast. Tell you, it's also the thing that pushes me into doing the next podcast when uh, when the day job gets in the way. And to that end, when I asked you for ideas for this anniversary episode, the most requested suggestion was for this: the bathroom medley from the uh, bathroom of the uh, Wardman Park Marriott. Coming to you from the bathroom of the Camelback Inn. From the bathroom of the uh, LAX Westin. The Mystic Marriott Hotel and Spa in lovely scenic Groton, Connecticut. No hotel bathroom for this podcast. I've been in town all week. From the bathroom of the Residence Inn on Tudor Wharf in Charlestown. From the bathroom, or is it the WC or the Toilette, uh, of the Novotel in downtown Geneva, Switzerland. Budapest, Hungary. From the mobile studio in uh, in suburban Chicago. Uh, actually, the uh, the 95 Chevy Blazer that uh, that's my airport car. Bathroom of the Orchard Hotel in San Francisco. Bathroom of the Marriott Courtyard in Oldsmar, Florida. The Civic Center Marriott in Durham, North Carolina. In the bathroom of the Stamford, Connecticut Marriott. From the Marriott Courtyard in East Memphis. Doubletree Club in Santa Ana, California. From the Marriott in Memphis, Tennessee. From the bathroom of the Oldsmar, Florida Courtyard. Bathroom of the uh, Philadelphia Marriott. Coming to you from the bathroom of the Bellagio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. to be coming to you from the bathroom of the Embassy Suites in Philadelphia, the Marriott Courtyard in Irvine, California, from the quite nice Laguna Hills Marriott in Dana Point, California, the Orlando, Florida Downtown Marriott, the uh, San Mateo, California Marriott, from the Huntington Beach Hilton Resort, from the Newport Beach Marriott. Frequent travelers spend a lot of time in hotel rooms, some good, some not so good. A colleague of mine ended up at the Days Inn in Oakland Coliseum, or next to the Oakland Coliseum, and he said it was the worst hotel he's ever stayed in, which, you know, you think about this, with 10 years of consulting experience and a stint in the Navy before that, that's saying a lot. Uh, You know, he said the sheets didn't look washed when he pulled the cover back, and he said the the pillow smelled like stale patchouli oil. He, he, he was just disgusted. He said he wrapped the pillow in a, uh, in a T-shirt that he had and laid down very lightly on the, uh, on the bed and, and got you know, lousy sleep that night. And he said the morning came, he completely packed up his bag. He figured, you know, he was sleeping on the office floor. It was going to be better than this. And he said he left the T-shirt behind. About half the time when I wake up on the road, I have to stop and think after shutting off the alarm. Now, exactly where am I? This exercise usually takes between 15 or 30 seconds, though it can be exponentially longer uh, for each beer after three that I drank the night before. Of course, sometimes you look forward to sunrise. Uh, Jeff Schultz wrote to tell me a a story of his childhood. My one travel story I wanted to share with you, he said, was when my family traveled to uh, South Korea, uh, the military uh, base uh, via military transport. You sort of end up flying via standby the whole way. We got there fine, but when it was time to return home to the Philippines, there was only one seat available, and that one went to my dad so we could get back to work. My mother, sister, and I were stuck to fend for ourselves. 
There were no rooms available on the base, and so we had to find a Korean hotel room. The one thing I remember most was my mom telling us not to listen to the things moving in the room while we were trying to go to sleep. Didn't sleep very much that night. The only room I could find was the Golden Eagle Motel in Niles, Michigan. Now, Niles also had a Holiday Inn, and sight unseen, I would have paid more to stay there. At 11.30 p.m., all I wanted was a safe, clean place to sleep. There would have been uh, little time to enjoy any unexpected charm. I drove up to the Golden Eagle, and I absolutely cringed. The, the squat, cinderblock building and the night clerk visible from the street through the pane glass window. I'll tell you, it reminded me of the Bates Hotel, but without the charm. For me, there are some things in travel that are worth the risk. Restaurants, theater, concerts, and there's some things that aren't. You know, and perhaps it's about that cost of failure. If a restaurant is bad, I leave. If a play is incomprehensible, I walk out. You know, though people may decry the Starbucksization, if that's a word, if I can make up that word, I'll tell you the fact is, I, I, I like their coffee better than most places, either the espresso or the drip. I find it's better than most independent coffee houses. However, you know, if I'm not in a rush, if I have the time to give, give an independent coffee house a try, I, I will. Um, because, you know what, I'm only on a buck and a half. And so what's the downside risk of that? If I can limit the damage, both to my time and my wallet, I'm in control. A bad hotel can impact your entire stay, though, especially in the high seasons like summer. You make that choice two weeks beforehand, you're stuck because there's no other rooms available. You know, a bad rental car can strand you in the middle of an unsafe situation, be it in a lousy part of town or in the middle of a desert. The Golden Eagle didn't ruin my evening. It wasn't filthy and the bed wasn't broken. However, I'll, I'll tell you, I didn't spend much time in the bathroom. I, I just didn't much care for the look of that shower curtain. Any podcast or blog talking about traveling in the U.S. has to talk about the TSA, the Transportation Safety Administration. It's a big part of any frequent traveler's life, and so it's been a continual topic in this podcast. My favorite part of today's air travel experience, uh, the shoe carnival, you know, where the TSA screener who's supposed to be evaluating your shoes for the potential to contain explosives instead is just yelling at everyone to take off their shoes or be shunted over to the side for a retaliatory pat-down or groping, whatever the case may be. Just last week, uh, some TSA goon at Chicago Midway, which, by the way, has become, I believe, absolutely the worst TSA station of all that I've experienced, had a five-year-old child take off her flip-flops. I mean, really, how much explosive material? I mean, well, first of all, a five-year-old. Second, I mean, how much explosive material are you going to fit into sort of a half-inch sole that's less than 12 inches long? I mean, really, this is starting to get a little silly. One guy tries to light his shoe on fire four, uh, four or five years ago, and now millions of people are, tra are, are traipsing through airports in their bare feet. What, uh, what strikes me, though, is how quickly these sort of vigilance screeners throw their brethren under the bus. I asked the O'Hare and the Providence screeners the same question. Are you saying that the hundred other screeners who let these shoes pass were wrong? Without a pause, without a beat, the answer was the same. I'm the only one doing the job right. 
you know, I tell you, you got to love that loyalty to your fellow, uh, to, you know, to your fellow screener. I'll tell you, I think the only thin blue line for these guys is uh, the flight attendants queuing up for pat downs. Definitely our tax dollars at work. So then as you're traveling, once you survive the TSA, well, there's still loads of entertainment waiting. So walking down the uh, down the concourse, I, I saw a bunch of people standing back from the gate looking around. That's never a good sign, and I was already in a cranky mood. You know, what what is this? A broken plane, a missing crew, a jammed jetway? Well, to my surprise, it was none of the above. Instead, it looked like an episode of fame had broken out. There's a bunch of teenagers doing a dance routine in front of the gate agent's desk, complete with musical accompaniments from somebody's Bose boombox. You know, even the most jaded frequent traveler had to stop and watch. We're in the, uh, the waiting area, and the plane's out there, and they, they said, well, it's going to be delayed for about a half an hour. The flight was coming in from someplace like Chicago or something, and it got, got, they told us it got struck by lightning on the way in. That's all they told us at the time, and so we're just sitting around, and we noticed that out comes this mechanic guy with, you know, an extension ladder. It's like 10 feet outside the window. This is the nose of the plane. And he comes right over to the nose, and he puts the extension ladder up against the plane, and he climbs up. He's got a roll of duct tape dangling from his belt. And, you know, at this time, a, sm a small crowd has gathered at the window, and they're looking at the guy, because this is the plane we're going to be flying to Paris in. It's like, what is he doing out there? You know, he's kind of like monkeying around with like, you know, it looked like he was scraping paint off or something. And he takes the roll of duct tape off his belt and he rips off like a six inch piece. And he just slaps it on the, on the plane, on the nose of the plane. <laughs> and he's rubbing it and make sure that it's, you know, it's okay. And then he kind of looks over and he notices like 30 people staring at him with kind of like the shocked expression on their faces. Like, what's going on out there? And he's nodding his head, kind of like, you know, we can't hear him through the glass, but he's kind of like saying, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. So he climbs down the ladder, and like two minutes later, he shows up on the, uh, the jetway. He's knocking on the door, and the, uh, the attendant lets him back into the waiting area at the gate, the gate area. And uh, he, he says, folks, I just want to tell you, the plane was struck by lightning, and... Um, the lightning found a defect in one of the rivets, and that's where it exited. It found a rivet and it kind of blew it out, and they had to locate it, and they did locate it. And he's like, it's not duct tape, it's, it's a Teflon tape, and it's only temporary. The, the plane's fine. <laughs> so he put us all at ease with his explanation, but it was pretty, pretty interesting to observe when it was happening. I'll tell you, I'm really getting tired of getting mooned every time a woman reaches down to get a magazine from her carry-on. You know, an article in Tuesday's USA Today says that women's waistbands are, are heading higher. And all I can say is, is thank God. I'll tell you, a plumber's crack is an eye-watering thing, whether it's coming from a woman or a man. And this was after a, uh, a bit of a sharing and caring session that I had with my seatmate on my flight down to St. Louis on Tuesday. You know, I, I had heard about this. I heard about this guy's Christmas plans, his daughter's college choice, and the price of his sister's home in the Bay Area. And this is all just on the taxi out to the runway. You know you're in trouble when you have to reach for the Sky Mall catalog. Forty minutes out of O'Hare, half the people around me are paging through the Sky Mall. One guy is examining the Bose, uh, the Bose headset description. The woman across the aisle from me is studying the Orvis uh, suede jackets. 
But I tell you, I'm, I'm most worried about the guy next to me. He seems particularly interested in the Lord of the Rings jewelry. Now, this guy and his friend had, had just missed the flight, and so they decided to sit in a bar and wait for the next one, which was four hours later. So they were obviously both a, a bit lit up when they boarded the flight. Uh, as the plane rotated up on, uh, on takeoff, the friend hopped out of his seat, headed back toward the toilet. The flight attendant stopped him, pointed to the seatbelt sign, told him to get back into his seat, at which point he promptly threw up on her and down the aisle. Now, given that the, the plane was rotating, was on climb out, you know, and, and tilted upward, the vomit just rolled rather quickly from row 9 all the way through about row 25. And the fun doesn't end when you step off the plane. It's, uh, it's the snowbird season in Florida, and so things go, I don't know, a bit slower on these flights. I, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but I counted 12 wheelchairs lining up in the jetway, and when I walked off the flight in Tampa, I, I, I didn't know that there were that many wheelchairs in the entire airport. You know, definitely not a sight you see getting off the plane in LaGuardia. Uh, I wonder if the airlines factor additional boarding to planning time into their Florida flight schedules because it's definitely a less experienced group of flyers than I, uh, than I see anywhere else. Pretty soon, though, we'll shift from the snowbird season to the spring break season. There's still going to be a lot of people sort of shuffling around for seats, but the slowness is less from arthritis, I think, and more from, uh, more from hangovers. I'll tell you, there's one LAX experience that will stick with me for quite some time. Uh, I see my dad sitting on a bench, and, uh, and I pull up to the curb in front of him. He was recovering from a fairly serious abdominal surgery the week before, and so he couldn't stand up for very long. You know, getting out of my car, a cop runs up to me and starts yelling at me. Your party needs to be right here, he says, pointing to the curb next to my car, literally to the curbstone. You know, actually, I just stopped. I couldn't actually believe the guy was serious. I, I, I thought it was a reality TV show. I pointed to my father, who was sitting on a bench 10 feet away, and I said, there's my party, and he can't stand and wait. He's got a week-old two-foot incision running up his gut. I don't care, the guy yelled, his face turning, really, I was amazed, turning an incredible shade of crimson, and he started writing me a ticket. I, I got to tell you that to this day, I'm a bit amazed that I did not go completely nonlinear on the guy. I mean, it had been a tough week. My aunt was dying. My dad had just missed dying the prior tw uh, the prior uh, week uh, before, and now some guy seems to be working on his lines from Comedy Central's Reno 911 television show, uh, running me up a ticket because my dad is 10 feet away. You know, for some reason, though, I, I just I just took the ticket. And then one about my business, just, you know, loading my, my dad's luggage and getting my mother's luggage. And just ignoring this cop as he just stood there and stared at me, turning even brighter shades of crimson. You know, my thought on it was, is, look, okay, you've given me the ticket. I've now paid for this spot. Why am I in a hurry? I might as well just get all the use out of it that I can. And before the talking starts, how can you tell the difference between a good talker and a bad talker? You know, how can you tell between, you know, somebody sitting next to you who's going to be able to tell you a good story and somebody who's just going to ramble on? Somebody who might be, you know, a, a potential customer or business client versus somebody who's just, you know, just a mope. Well, unless you're psychic, you, you know, you can't. So instead, you've got to sort of compensate with speed, you know, or deceit. But, but you need a plan 
say for when that cab driver you hope will give you some good local flavor turns into a guy who's just going to rant. You're kind of like the cab driver who took me from downtown Boston to Logan Airport on election day last November 2004. I get in, the cab driver sort of starts off saying, I look like a Republican. He sort of felt sorry for me that his man Kerry was carrying the day. And, and this kind of kept going on. And after about, so after about 10 minutes, when I, when I realized this was not going to stop, I, I opened my cell phone and started playing with the settings so that the, uh, so that the cell phone rang. You know how you kind of reset the, uh, the ringtone. At which point I, I acted like I was taking a call and then held the phone to my ear for the rest of the drive into Logan. Though actually I did take it down from my ear while we were in the Ted Williams tunnel, but only just to re-ring myself to cover the, the remaining two minutes of the ride into the terminal. Now, I know the gang at Hertz and Avis are just going to cringe if they end up here in this this segment, but the phrase, it's just a rental, is a common refrain, usually sung right before you do something that you wouldn't do to your own car, from something sort of as innocuous as tossing an empty Starbucks cup into the back seat to something as truly juvenile as trying to peg the uh, speedometer. There's something about a collision damage waiver that brings out the heavy foot. Uh, you know, one of the highlights of my weekly trips to Phoenix last year was the ramp onto the northbound Black Canyon Freeway. You know, really nicely banked and, uh, and not too crowded. I never got it over 100 miles an hour on there, but I got really close in a brand new red Ford Mustang convertible. And I order it, I come around to the drive through window, and the guy looks out and he's gonna hand me my burrito and he looks out and he says, is that a brand new Monte Carlo? Now, you know, this is 11, you know, 11.30, 12 at night. I, I just got the car, I just got in the car, I put the key in it. So I look around and I look at the chrome and I look at the steering wheel and said, well, yeah, it is. It is a brand new Monte Carlo. And I look at the odometer, it's got, I don't know, like 500 miles. And I look at him and go, well, yeah, it, yeah, you're right. It is a brand new Monte Carlo. And he says, well, now, how do you like that car? I said, well, you know, for the, for the 10 miles that I drove it from the airport, it, it seems to work pretty well for me. Uh, and, he, and he looks, that is a fine looking car. That, that is a great look. Oh, oh, here's your burrito. So here I was now, <laughs> just famished. I just wanted, I just wanted my dinner. But here was a guy. He was, he was very interested, uh, very interested in having a conversation with me and just a really nice guy. But every once in a while, even the hardest core business traveler needs to take a vacation. And this is important because when traveling on business, the schedule is everything for me. My arrivals, my meetings, my meals are all choreographed for maximum efficiency. Get in, get the work done, get back home to the family. But on vacation, the travel is the end, not a means toward an end. And the family isn't back home. They're here with me. And quite honestly, they're trying to endure the very things that I'm usually trying to minimize. (laughs) And I wouldn't be completely honest if I didn't say that even after ditching my watch, there's a day or two of gear grinding between my family and me while I work to shift from a business cadence to a leisure cadence. You know, and for some reason, I just can't downshift in airports no matter how hard I try. Uh, last week, flying from Geneva to Budapest, we took EasyJet. Now, I've never flown them before, but they're set up like Southwest. And, and looking around, I noticed that other people had boarding group letters on their boarding passes, and we didn't. Oh, man. I, you know, having, spent, having spent time on Southwest, I know what that means. So I, I got into line. I immediately got into line 
uh, to try and get us a spot in the first boarding tranche. I mean, we had checked in two hours beforehand, and, and we were we should be in the we should have been in the first tranche. The line was going nowhere, and I'm starting to get impatient. My wife starts waving at me. Now, what, is, what does she want? Can't she see that I'm fighting to keep my spot in this queue? She finally comes over. Well, it's all taken care of, she says, because the kids were pre-boarding. Okay. I step out of line, take a, uh, take a deep cleansing breath, wander over to the jetway door, and board with my family. First, Claire, who's in third grade. What do I do while I'm out of town on travel? Work and go to the pub and drink beer. You write little letters to all those people. <laughs> and then you listen to your iTunes. Well, that doesn't sound like a bad job, really. I guess I shouldn't complain so much. Now I ask Andrew, who's in seventh grade, the same question. What do I do when I'm out of town? You record podcasts and you go to meetings. And you eat. And you drive nice cars. If you can get your hands on them. <laughs> like you got to drive the Ford Mustang one time. He's right. I did get a nice Mustang in Phoenix once, uh, and he remembered that. I, uh, I forgot to tell him, though, about the uh, broken-down Taurus I had this week in Austin. I, I also asked Andrew, what else should I do on travel? Well, you get reimbursed on the money you spend, right? So basically, you're traveling for free. So you can go get a really nice car since you're getting reimbursed and drive it and go sightseeing. Well, that sounds a lot better than recording podcasts in bathrooms. And What's the best thing about business travel? You bring your swimsuit and swim in pools. Then you can like rate your pools 1 to 10. <laughs> then, and then the top 10 places with the best pools, we can just go there. We go there and we try out the pools. We stay there for like a day. Just go around the town and tour the pools. And finally from Claire, what's the biggest mistake that I make? <laughs> you don't play enough. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's the end of Travel Commons podcast number 40, the special one-year anniversary edition. I hope you enjoyed that bit of spelunking through the archives. Uh, you know, I, I'm surprised at how much actually I ended up having to leave behind even after expanding the time window a bit. I didn't, for example, I didn't get to sample any of the ambient travel sounds we've done. Well, I, you know, but I'll, I'll save that for another episode. But uh, but I will be back next time with some brand new content. Already have some uh, comments in both the uh, both the email bin and the uh, and the website uh, for uh, for new content. So we'll be uh, we'll be back shortly. Won't have to wait quite as long between podcasts as you did uh, for this one. Uh, but always remember your travel stories, your travel experiences. The voice of the traveler are at the core of Travel Commons. So send them along to comments at travelcommons, T-R-A-V-E-L-C-O-M-M-O-N-S dot com, or post them on our website at travelcommons.com. And always, thanks for all the feedback. But most of all, thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Travel Commons. His hill, strange bed in a lonely motel. But one thing needs my mind, the warm 
some woman that I left behind From California to Carolina She calls me up and there's nothing finer And when the tears start falling 